0: Hey everyone, this is Jamie Austin, pastor of Woodlake Church. Thank you so much for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Woodlake, head on over to woodlake.church and enjoy this message. What is a Fire Bible? Fire Bible is simply your favorite translation of Scripture. In most languages, it's the only translation of Scripture, and which is about 850,000 words In in most languages, it doesn't go anywhere over 900 and very rarely goes down to 8. 850,000 words that we call the holy word, the scripture that God gave to us for faith and conduct and for understanding our faith and how to get to God. That's the word of God. Well, on top of that, what we've come to understand is people need to have the Word of God, not just the Word of God in their hands, they need the Word of God explained. They need to understand why Jonah sat on a hillside and didn't want to pray for the Ninevites. They need to understand what big deal it was for Abraham to leave Ur of the Chaldees and, and take off and leave his family and bury his dad, Terah, in another place and eventually go to the land of Canaan and what God said to him there and the promise of God The covenantal promise of God to his people from generation to generation is unpacked in these fire Bibles. So with those 850,000 words, we add another 1.23 million words of explanation in articles, in commentary, in, in concordance, in book introductions, in maps, in charts. And anything you need to know to help someone come to the Lord Jesus Christ is in this book. If you're a brand new believer or just now coming into the faith whether this is your church and you'll get in connected to a group somehow this is a family oriented church or if this is you're just blowing through and you're visiting, don't judge what you see at this on this platform by what happens today. Come back and hear Pastor Jamie and he'll he'll rightly divide the word of God and he won't spit on you like I'm a fixing to do but but this will help you this will help you and help those around you. in many instances, it's the only tool they have. To, to plant, build, and sustain the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brother Alton Garrison, one of the leaders of our, of our movement, the Assemblies of God, has said this is a one-book Pentecostal library for leaders around the world. In its infancy, it came from the great state of Oklahoma. Can you say Amen. Oh, me. Depends on where you're from. I saw my brother over here. He's got on an OSU cowboy shirt, and I didn't know Ohio State changed their name to Cowboys. <laughs> God help him. He's got the wrong OSU on his sweatshirt, but I'm sure the Lord will still let him into heaven. <laughs> Jeff, you're talking about football on Sunday morning. Jesus doesn't care about football. Yeah, but he cares about me, right? <laughs> He cares about me, and I care about football. So me and Jesus, we'll sit down and eat some tostadas and, and watch some football together, and then pray about the lost. <laughs> Not necessarily in that order. <laughs> you know, I love the Lord. I, I can't love football too much. I'm a Browns fan. <laughs> we have invented more ways to lose than any other team on the planet. I still love them. I'm faithful. I'm faithful. You know, I pastored 100 years ago in the great city of Dayton, Ohio. And uh, after serving there for a length of time, put in that church, it was a turnaround church. It was just about dead. I knew I was in trouble when our district secretary, treasurer, brother, great man of God named Brother McManus, came by to see me after I'd been there about three months. He said, Jeff, just give it another year. If you don't like it, we'll close it down and we'll send you somewhere else. I thought, what have I got myself into? But now you know you fall in love with the body of Christ where you're planted. And you grow deep roots and you begin to grow. And God began to send us people. God began to bring us people. We began to see people saved and set free from their addictions and and born again. You know, my church was just a typical redneck church. We had no gypsies. We had no Hispanics. We had no blacks. We were all white, redneck. We were all just pressing to forward. We were a boring church. Man, we all looked alike say wow they look like you Jeff that wasn't boring that was ugly (laughs) but I began to pray I said Lord I I want a church that reflects the body of Christ and so I stood up on Sunday morning I don't have good sense and if you're offended please just get over it but I began to stand on my platform as the man of God on that platform and I began to articulate what I wanted I wanted black people in my church and I wanted Hispanics in my church and I wanted the gypsy community to come to my church. So I began to claim it in the name of Jesus. How many of you know it's a dangerous thing to do? But God said you get what you want bad enough if it's not in if it's not in conflict with his will for your life. And God really fixed those rednecks in my church, I can tell you. The very first person of color to walk into my redneck church was a little old white truck driver married to a beautiful young black lady. That freaked them out. (laughs) But God gave me what I asked for and come to find out that they just fell in love with Jesus, had been saved one week, and they came into that turmoil and our entire church got changed. Because you get what you pray for and what you believe. Well, I started believing out of that for our church to grow, and it grew and grew until it was jam-packed, and, and I was getting ready to build. We'd sold some property. We'd done some things. We were getting ready to build. And in the midst of all of that, God calls us in his infinite wisdom to the mission field. Now, some of you are new or don't know much about our, our, our movement here, but we are based on the fact that we want to see the greatest evangelization that the world has ever seen. And in order to make that happen, somebody's got to go tell somebody. Amen? It doesn't just happen by by that miraculous. The miracle is when we leave here and go there and share that amazing grace that God gave us. And so God in his infinite wisdom took a guy who'd never learned anything but Southern Ohio English... I'd never been out of the country. Yeah, Pastor just talked about they're coming back from Ireland and they're coming back from Rwanda. And, and I, you know, when I, my church went on a mission trip, we went to Cleveland. <laughs> you laugh. Have you been to Cleveland? <laughs> the war zone of Ireland between the Catholics and the Protestants is nothing compared to the projects in Cleveland. Never been out of the country unless you count Canada and Kentucky as foreign countries. I'd never been. I'm not a traveler. I don't come from a family of travelers. No one in my family's history had ever learned anything but English. There was no need. We spoke the holy language. You know what the proof is? Here it is right here. The Word of God is written in English. (laughs) If you've been around a while, you know that wasn't true. I translated into English, but I come from a low-education family. First one in my family to ever go to college, let alone graduate first one in my family to ever be at that level. But God in his infinite wisdom called us to go to a place of impossibility where we had to really rely on the Lord to show up. So as we traveled for 15 some months, going from church to church to church, asking people to believe in our vision, we said we want to see a 1,000 people saved in the nation of Laos, the Lao People's Democratic Republic. It wasn't democratic, and it wasn't the peoples, and it wasn't, it wasn't a republic. It was a communist, dirt-poor nation that had never had an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the history of the world. It was ripe for something, and God in his infinite wisdom sent us. And I, and I traveled to those churches and I began to share that we're gonna see a thousand people saved in our first term, our first four years. Is that the height of arrogance or what? I couldn't speak the language, didn't know the food. I was, I was an anti-government person. I was like Velcro. Everywhere I went, someone was following me. It was amazing. And I'm so hard to pick out in a crowd when everyone else is five foot one, weighed about 90 pounds, <laughs> I felt like Shaquille O'Neal <laughs> walking through houses and, and hitting my head right here all the time because all their doors are like six foot high. Pow! I knew I was in, not in Kansas anymore. But we went and God laid on our hearts the vision to see 6.6 million people come to understand who Jesus Christ is as Savior and Lord. All of them spoke in tongues, just not with the Spirit. They spoke in Lao. They spoke in Hmong. They spoke in Tai Dam, Tai Dang, Mong Kao, Mong Fa, Mong Dam. They spoke in Kamu. Uh, they spoke in Kamu. They spoke in Lisu. They spoke in Aka. They spoke all these different languages of which I had never even heard of. But yet, God laid on my shoulders the responsibility to begin a movement to bring people to Jesus Christ. That's the same responsibility Woodlake shares whenever you pour into this great fire Bible to put it in the hands of other people. It's not just so that they have a fancy Bible. It's not just so that they have notes. It's that they might be equipped for acts of service to see the church of the Lord Jesus Christ born and come out of the ground in their country. That's the purpose of this book in all those languages. We were there for a little bit of time, and I shared in the first service that they... They put a, uh, a guard in front of our house. 24 hours, 24-7. Little guy, pickle suit. You know, if you've ever been to the service, we used to call them pickle suits. I think now they call them BDUs or whatever. But, but he was out there in a pickle suit with an AK strapped onto his shoulder 24-7. They would rotate the guards through. And, and I was going to go out and give him a piece of my mind because I'm an American and that's what we do. Amen? Just watch Fox News. Someone's always giving us a piece of their mind. Wears me out. <laughs> so I went out there and I got my... I got my translator, a young Buddhist fellow by the name of Vyung Kama. I said, Viang, we're going to go out and we're going to talk to that soldier. He said, what are we going to say? <laughs> I said, you just say whatever I say, and you just translate for me, and that's your job. He said, he's got a gun. I said, well, that's all right. We're going to go talk to him. <laughs> and so I went out there, and I leaned over again. This guy might have weighed 90 pounds. And in those days, I was three and a quarter, had a big, bushy black beard and black BC glasses on, left over from my years in the service, and, and I was a mean-looking dude. <laughs> to him, anyway, I was like, they used to call me behind my back, Kunyai, which means here comes the giant. <laughs> and, and so I walked up to him, and I'm looking down at him, and I'm, I'm doing this, and I'm just like, you're scaring my wife and my kids, and, which was a lie, because they thought it was pretty cool. Well, I'm out there acting like an idiot. My wife is making, making banana pudding and, and, and giving him cool water and taking a chair out for where the guard can sit. And my kids are in the upstairs window taking pictures of dad acting like an idiot with the military guy. He wasn't scaring anybody. They saw him as just a, a little kid. Now, how many of you know a little kid can pull the trigger on an AK and you're just as dead as a, as a mean old guy? But I told him, I said, you're going to stop this. I don't like this. I don't like this. And so he listened to me through my translator and finally looked around and he told my translator, he said, tell the big guy to relax. They didn't give me any bullets. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that just like the enemy? I'm sent there with the responsibility to reach that very young man that was standing on the threshold of my house and all I'm focused on is the opposition. I'm focused on, I can't speak the language. I don't like the government. Their philosophy is anti-Christ, anti-church, anti-American. And I started to feel this anger well up within me towards the very people God called me to serve. So I'm walking through the marketplace and, and, and there's, a, there's, there's a thousand people in this Southeast Asian market. If you've ever been, you don't want to go back. I mean, you haven't lived until you smelled fish a thousand miles from the nearest ocean and no refrigeration and no ice. It's a beautiful smell. It's even better. It's just like eating pre-chewed food. It's just, it's It's bad. And I'm walking through this marketplace and I'm hearing Vietnamese and Hmong and Lao and and Camus and different languages, and they're jabbering and they're looking furtively at me. And and I was paranoid. I'm thinking, them folks are talking about me. Now, the the question that you always ask yourself is not am I being paranoid? It's am I being paranoid enough? Because yes, they were talking about me. I didn't know because I didn't speak their language. And so I made up my own narrative. As we're wont to do. I said, I know what they're saying. They're saying, look at him, how tall he is, how regal, how majestic, how handsome he is. Well, just like the elephant walking through the jungle cane breaks in his power and his majesty. And I'm thinking, wow, they're just they're just talking about me. And when I learned Lao later on, I found out what they were really saying. Have you ever seen anyone that fat in your whole life? I bet my arms couldn't even go all the way around him. Can you imagine what it costs to feed that guy? Hide your food, hide your babies, maybe he eats kids. All kinds of that stuff was talked about all the time. They had no context for for who and what we were. And walking that marketplace one day when that was going on and I'm full of myself, (laughs) which full of chicken too, but (laughs) full of myself and I'm walking along and here comes this little grandma walking towards me in the marketplace. And grandma had to be 81, 82 years old, but she looked a lot older and uh, all bent over with osteoporosis, lived her entire life in the rice fields. You think you got a tough job? Try planting rice 10 months out of the year, up to your knees in cold water, one stalk at a time, mind-numbing work for 80-some years. Ever since she was old enough to walk, she was in the rice fields. And she's walking, coming towards me, all bent over, but as they like to walk with one hand behind their back. And, and she hears the people talking, and she's like, something's going on. <laughs> something's going on. And, and, and so she, she looks up, and she caught my eyes, and I caught hers, and I'll never forget it. <laughs> she smiled, and I'll, I can't forget the smile because she had like three teeth left. And they were black, and her gums were black, and her tongue was swollen because she was chewing betel nut, which is a mild narcotic because her teeth hurt her all the time. And she looked at me, and she said, If it's possible, can I ask the big guy a question? And my translator never even asked my permission. He said, sure, mother, ask him anything you want. He could only imagine She'd never seen anyone my color, my size, or that looked or smelled like me in her entire life. What question was she asked? She smiled again and wiped the beetle nut off her face and took that bony finger and jammed it in my belly button in front of God and everybody. She says, Mr. How many people live inside of you? (laughs) I didn't like it. I took grandma's finger and popped it right out of my belly button. Leave my happy place alone. That's for me and Jesus and maybe Michelle. Who knows? That's my wife's name in case you're wondering. She's also my girlfriend. It works out better that way. How many people live inside of us? It's a funny story. It's one we relate to. But I believe it's the same question that the Holy Spirit wanted me to begin to hear in my spirit. You think it's about you, Jeff, or you think it's about you being here so that I can do something miraculous in this place? Do you think it's what you're going to accomplish or what the Spirit of God wants to see accomplished in this place? I haven't told this story for, for quite a while simply because it can be taken wrong, but it's, I'm going to take a chance today. I, we were in there about the third month all this has context with Fire Bible. I'll get to it in just a second. But I'm feeling this pressure of 6.6 million people, and all I can do is say, somebody, boy. Somebody. you okay? I'm okay. It's hard to lead someone down the Roman road to get Jesus as their Savior and Lord if all you can say is hello and where you've been and what's going on. That's all you can say. Three months into it, it was hot. I'd had I'd had uh, probably dysentery, at least a bad case of giardia. I'd lost 67 pounds in that first three months. That was the tough news. The good news was I found it all again. (laughs) Can you say amen? (laughs) Right where I left it, McDonald's. (laughs) But I lost 67 pounds in those first three months, and I was this close to quitting. Jamie, I don't think I've ever told you this story. I was this close to packing it up and say, God, you made a mistake. I wasn't the man you thought I was because this language is demonic. I don't like these people. I don't like the government. I don't like the weather. I don't like the food. We don't have air conditioner. We don't have TV. We didn't even have a flushable toilet. I mean, come on. That's American, it's even called American standard. (laughs) We have to have a toilet, right? You guys that want the good old days, you can have it. I love flush toilets. No washing machine, no running water in the house. It was the pits. And I was getting it worked up into a very, very depressed state. And I took my wife and kids to the market, um, and we sat in this little noodle shop, and it was that blessed time of year when all fly eggs that have ever hatched decide to hatch at the same time. And <laughs> You see the flies, they're everywhere. They're trying to crawl up your nose. They're on the corners of your eyes. They're in your ears. They're always in your soup. And after we'd been there for three or four weeks, we realized if you just don't flick the fly out of your soup and keep eating, you never get any soup. So my kids got so good with chopsticks, they could take a still swimming fly, click, boom, click, boom. (laughs) Them kids were awesome. I sit there, I looked over and I saw my... 11-year-old son, my 9-year-old daughter covered with flies. Just just going and just they couldn't they couldn't even eat their soup. And I just something inside of me snapped. And it wasn't the holy ghost if you're wondering. <laughs> something inside of me as an American father who loved his two kids and his wife, something just snapped and I said, "I've had enough of this." Get up, we're gonna go to the house. Mama brought a jar of Jif peanut butter from the States. Can you say amen? And if we have nothing else, because it was a non-bread culture, so no one baked bread in that city. If we have to, we'll just stick our finger in it and we'll eat it off our finger for America in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't say all that, but that's what I'm thinking. Let's go to the house. We're going to eat something at the house. And so we get up and I'm making a fool out of myself. I'm stomping around. The kids know I'm mad. My wife knows I'm mad. They don't know what's going on, but I'm deeply depressed. I hadn't told one person about Jesus Christ. I hadn't preached one sermon to allow soul. I hadn't given out one piece of literature because I'm being followed day and night. And I feel the pressure of nearly seven million people that are gonna split hell wide open if I can't make a difference. Now, I want you to feel a little bit of that pressure. I wasn't making the grade. And I walked out, and we're walking through that busy marketplace again, and sure enough, just like the enemy, at four minutes till six, the communist propaganda comes on a loudspeaker, and that night happened to be in a beautiful Hmong language, which I never learned, but I can imitate pretty good, and that loudspeaker would rotate through like a, like a tornado siren here in the Midwest, and it comes off. And I just, I was sick to death. I was right up to here with it. And so I did something totally spiritual. I acted like an idiot. And I said, I curse you in the name of Jesus. And that, I mean, dead silence. In the middle of a thousand people in a communist country away from home, I just cursed the government on that speaker pole, that loudspeaker. And everyone in the market, no one knew a word I said, but they saw the big, fat, hairy, white guy point at the object of their hate, because I found out later they didn't like it either. He pointed his finger and said some magic words and it just died. And my wife looked at me and she said, Jeffrey, what did you do? (laughs) I mean, it's just still. And and, and I said, baby, I don't know, but it felt good. <laughs> or Robert's got it in his right hand. I just took one finger for me. <laughs> Sorry, Brother Roberts. <laughs> so we went on back to the house, and I'm trying to process what just happened. I mean, we left that marketplace stunned, it was just stunned. And my kids were just, that was awesome, Dad. That was so cool. Did you plan that? Have you been fasting to be able to have the power to do that? And so we got them in there sitting there, and and it's self-revelation time. I got to tell my kids, your old man blew it, and I was in the flesh, and I was weak, and I'm depressed. And it's hard to explain all that to an 11- and a 9-year-old who left everything to come to a foreign country. And Matt said, Dad, that was God. We believed that God was going to show up because this country's bigger than us. That had to be God. And so in my infinite wisdom, (laughs) I began to explain to him what had happened. I said, it was probably at the same moment that your daddy snapped, there was a rat in the marketplace that chewed through the Romex cable going up that concrete pole. And just at the right time, that rat chewed into that wire, probably just zinged him right there and shut that speaker off. And my son, who even today is a a biblical man of the word, way beyond his old man, he says, okay, Dad, okay, okay. God provided a fish for Jonah. Maybe God sent a rat for you. (laughs) He said, that was God, and you're not taking it away from us. That was God. What I didn't know, and this is the way God works, and he's working that way this morning in this service. What he didn't realize was it's not about our abilities. God doesn't judge us on what we don't have. He judges us on our faithfulness for what we can bring to the table. Jesus sat and watched the offering coming in. That kind of flies in the face of ministerial ethics, doesn't it? Jesus watched what they put in and weighted according to their dress and their cultural background and their status in society. And he said the one who put in half of a cent put in more than he who put in a bag because he knew the context. God judges on faithfulness, not amounts. So if you have a lot, we need a lot. And if you have a little and it's a sacrifice, God will take your sacrifice and he will bless it and he will honor it and he will make something happen out of it. In the marketplace that day was a young lady by the name of Somjan Kompilavong. Say her name three times and you will be filled with the Holy Ghost. (laughs) Somjan Kompilavong. (laughs) And she watched the marketplace like a Benny Hinn crusade. (laughs) Everyone was quiet and sitting. No one was running the aisles. No one was going to the bathroom. They wanted to know what was going on. The whole town started talking. I wonder what he said. <laughs> I wonder what happened when he pointed his finger and yelled. And I started getting questions, and I started hearing talking going on. And, but some John ended up being, and I'm, I'm trying to find a place to land this ship, but land this plane. But some John was a young woman searching for truth. There'd never been a church in that town's history of any kind. No Baptist, no Methodist, no Pentecostal, no Church of God, nothing ever. Totally godless situation. Not anti-God. They just had never heard. And she was hungry for truth. And she saw and heard for herself that day. And I found out later on, she put herself on a mission. I'm going to find out what's going on. Through a long series of events, Psalm John gave her heart and life to Jesus Christ, the only personal convert that I can claim in the nation of Laos Years down the road, when we dedicated the Bible, the Fire Bible, with all of its notes and articles, guess who was the managing editor of that Fire Bible? a lady by the name of Somjan Kompililong. (laughs) And this Bible is now in the homes of thousands of leaders across Southeast Asia that speak that dialect and into Thailand and into the Lisu and the Chin and the Burmese and the Vietnamese and the Cambodians and, and on and on throughout Southeast Asia, not to mention China where over 3 million of these fire Bibles went in. She was the first. And if God would have told me, Jeff, I need you to give everything away that you have and travel 10,000 miles away with your wife and kids so that one person can see you in a moment of weakness and change, change the map for her country by her efforts and by her knowledge and by her language, I probably wouldn't have left. God sometimes is good in the things he doesn't tell us, Amen. Sometimes we have to take it on trust. And so today, I'm busy, as busy as we can, because I believe in this fire Bible and what it does. A lot of people ask me, they say, Jeff, what does it cost to do one? The first one is about $500,000, more or less, to get the first one done. After that, they're $25, $30 a piece but I know of a family who lived on the same street as Osama bin Laden when he was hiding from our military. They were translating this glorious work of the Bible and the Fire Bible Notes into Urdu, the language of Pakistan. When the police officers came in and said, we've been watching, we've been been telling you to stop this Christian stuff, shot the entire family dead, just blocks where Osama was. When we were working on the Turkish Bible, a young man got warned twice. The third time they came in and shot him in the head, killed him dead. His friend who was there, they threw him out a third-story window into the street. The crowd finished the job and beat him to death. It's not how much it cost, it's how much is it worth. How much is it worth to have the Word of God in your own heart language with all of the explanations necessary to plant, build and maintain the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is infinitely precious. <laughs> and whatever God speaks to your heart to do doesn't come from my salary, it doesn't come from my support, doesn't come from what I do as me personally. It goes right into building fire Bibles among the Quechuan people of northeastern Peru. Quechua language. We're in the nation of Haiti right now. We're in the last we're in the last several kilometers of finishing the Haitian Creole fire bible for that country that's literally being ripped to shreds. We're in Lingala in the Democratic Republic of Congo and the Shongan down in Mozambique and the Amharic among the Ethiopians. We're finishing the Armenian copy of the scripture but also fire bible knows to go with it. We're in Sweden, we're in Slovenia. We're just finished. We just now got to the printer with the Serbian edition for those people who just saw a mass genocide of their own families, not 10, 15 years ago. This Bible's getting done, and how it gets done is when God speaks to you. You may not have to cuss a speaker pole, (laughs) but you might have to do something generous, even beyond what you thought you were ready to do. I had several people come after the first service and expressed to me, they said, we love what Fire Bible's doing. We really gave generously. Thank you for what you're doing. I know I'm preaching to the choir. Brother Pastor Jamie and I have had a great friendship this last five or 10 years and closer to 10 years. We know what it's about. And we, he knows I'm, I don't use manipulation. I don't use guilt. I'm preaching to the people that have literally made millions of people aware of who Jesus Christ is already through your faithful missions giving. <laughs> to whom much is given, much is required. You've given a lot. <laughs> More is required. So I encourage you today, listen to the Lord. Do something awesome for his sake, for the sake of his people. You see, he took me from 6.6 million people. I won one for Christ. And he put us in charge of 235 million people in the five countries of Southeast Asian. I said, Lord, I couldn't handle six. What am I going to do with 230 million people? And that's when he gave me the whole idea of partnering with Fire Bible. He said, maybe you can't go, but you can send these in. <laughs> you can make it happen. You can make it happen. And so on the field, before I ever did this as a living, I helped them to do Vietnamese. I helped them with Cambodian. I helped with three editions in the Burmese languages because I believe in what it is from a missionary standpoint. And now as the director also to touch our world. If we can reach the top 100 languages, Pastor, come or I won't stop talking. Come on. If we can reach the top 100 languages on this planet, and as of today, because of your giving, your generosity, we finished 67 languages. Can you say amen? (laughs) 67. <laughs> that gives access to first and second language readers to 4.2, 4.3 billion people now have the Word of God, the Word of God explained and the Word of God in their heart language. If we can get the top 100, we'll, we'll pretty much cover the world with the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if the internet goes down and if the government stops people from coming in and the teams can no longer get there, every Bible that's hidden, and squirreled away will still be there doing its job because of what we do. God bless you. At Woodlake Church, our passion is to help you connect with God, find your sweet spot in ministry, and grow in your faith. Everyone is welcome at Woodlake. If you've never been to church before in your life, or if you're a lifelong Christian, Woodlake is a place where you can experience real and lasting spiritual growth. Music is upbeat. The messages are straight from God's Word. They're very practical. We also have great programs for infants through 12th grade. I mean, we have something for everyone. Come check us out this weekend. I promise you'll be glad you did.